Do you like to be the first name of your sex tape? Well, if you like to be the first to listen to podcasts, you might want to check out our Patreon because now we're offering a brand new membership tier called Name of Your Sex Tape. I couldn't help it, guys. I'm sorry. For five pounds a month, you'll get an ad-free version of our weekly episode on a Tuesday, a full day earlier than its usual release. So you can be the very first to talk about how funny our guest was, how quickly you cracked the case, or how badly I answered a question. Plus, you'll get all the benefits of our regular tier, including our live Zoom records, a special shout out on the podcast, and if you really like to hear us talk, we've got an entire back catalog of extra content. Check it out on patreon.com forward slash drunk women solving crime. Name of your sex tape. Name of your sex tape. Name of your sex tape. Fancy coming along to see Drunk Women Solving Crime live? Ooh, yes please. Why not join us for our monthly London residency at the marvellous Museum of Comedy? We've got monthly shows through to June. Plus, every show is a double header, so you get to see us record not one, but two episodes with two fantastic guests. You can find tickets on our website, drunkwomensolvingcrime.com. Shows are selling out fast, so be quick. Noise. Noise. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Drunk Women Solving Crime, which was of course recorded remotely with everyone safely tucked up in their own homes. And as we get used to the new technology, it does mean that the audio in this particular episode isn't quite up to our usual standards. But we have come up with a solution and eradicated this problem for future episodes. So do bear with us. We hope everybody out there is doing well and we can't wait to see you again when our live shows are allowed to continue. But now pour a drink and enjoy Drunk Women Solving Crime with Ruth Bratt. Drunk Women Solving Crime Drunk Women Solving Crime. My name's Katie Wilkins and I'm an author and comedian. I'm joined by screenwriter Hannah George. Hello. And writer-comedian Taylor Glenn. Hello. This is where brandy meets bludgeoning, mimosa meets misdemeanour, and port meets prostitution. It's a true crime podcast with a twist of lime. Coming up on Drunk Women Solving Crime. The Pharmacist Roadshow, where we were, it was basically like a thing called Ask your pharmacist. This is very early in my career. It was- <laughs> <laughs> now I've written a joke and you will have to listen to it. Are <laughs> okay, you ready for this? She was out of toilet paper because she was really lazy. <laughs> and she later considered it a catalyst that sent her in a downward spiral. I wonder what mine's going to be. I'm really excited <laughs> about that. Now it's time for drunk women solving this is Drunk Women Solving Crime from four separate bunkers. 
Uh, <laughs> our first uh, non-studio record, remote record with a real guest. Yay! Yay! So it is my great pleasure to introduce the fantastic writer, performer, improviser, Ruth Brad. We normally clap, but it might ruin the sound. <laughs> Just wave. <laughs> Ruth, how are you doing? I'm all right, thanks. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny old time, isn't it? <laughs> it is a funny old time. Funny old time. Please, can you tell us, have you ever been the victim of a crime? I have. I have. Once that I can remember. I'm sure more than <laughs> once. But, um, so, and, and I, it's one of those ones where I was like, oh, it's so bad because it's so stereotypical and I didn't want to it to be stereotypical but it is I I went to Liverpool (laughs) and um, and I was doing I was doing a oh the the pharmacist road show where we were it was basically like a thing called ask your pharmacist and it was to encourage people this is very early in my career it was (laughs) (laughs) it was to encourage people to go to their pharmacist rather than the doctor you know so if you've got you know like little aches and pains you should go to your pharmacist you shouldn't bother your gp you know so uh this is before 111 and all of that and i so we were doing this thing uh we had a a bear costume that we had to take in turns to get into Um, we we used to do like bear represented i i can't remember what i can't remember what it was Somebody's sadism, I guess. I yeah. So anyway, so we we were going around the whole country, and we'd got as far as Liverpool, and uh, and literally within half an hour of opening up the trailer, someone had nicked my bag uh, oh, with all of my credit cards. I mean, you know, I didn't have credit card, credit card, but with my bank card, um, my wallet, my just everything. And because we were on, we were literally going to a different city every day. Yeah. I couldn't get a bank card delivered to me because oh, I no. didn't know where I was going to be when the bank card arrived. Oh, wow! <laughs> so I just had to borrow money from <gasps> the other people in the oh, car. Wow. Can I just confirm? Were you dressed as a bear when they stole your handbag? Because I believe at the time I was dressed as a witch. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, this is more and more like. <laughs> Oh, what the fuck was this roach? Because really then you're like, oh, a bag doesn't really go with this witch outfit. So. Right, so you have to put it down. And also, I had a really bad UTI at the same time. Oh, <laughs> Liverpool is the worst city in the world. <laughs> Bless all the people on my who were doing the tour with me. They went to uh, they went to a shop and they bought me a replacement bag because I didn't have a bag. And I still have that bag and I still use it. The one I bet it's really I ugly though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that I didn't get back that I have never heard the end of. Uh, I borrowed my mum's copy of The Go Between uh, to read while I was on tour. And yeah. my mum uh, had got all of her notes from 20 years of teaching in the oh. book. And the book was in the bag. And oh, it went, and you know that just went into a bin. You know, yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, my mum's every now and then will sort of go. Do you remember that I I had lots of really oh. good ideas in that book? Oh no, <laughs> right, mum, sorry. No, <laughs> yeah. oh no. Maybe the thieves read the go between and got a real insight with all the notes and learnt about like repression and wasted lives, and then yeah. they changed their ways after that. Maybe they changed their ways. I think given what they spent 
money on on my cards they bought a lot of very cheap booze oh wow okay <laughs> I love it like you know when you see the shop that they've been into yeah how much money and you go oh yeah wow. are you sure that was definitely them though yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at the time it could have been me very easily <laughs> but, yeah. lag a suspicious spending <laughs> so did you actually on this tour did you actually get like was there a pharmacist with you or was it all actors I'm just thinking about your uh, UTI. We did no, we did have <laughs> <laughs> we did have pharmacists with us. Uh, so in each city, we'd get different pharmacists. So like local pharmacists would come and join us. She wasn't a witch. I wasn't just as a witch. I was just as a wise woman. I was just as like you know like a herbalist from like a, a kind of a hippie chakra kind of yeah, but like a, but old school. So, okay, what would have been called a witch when she was. Yeah, doing her herbals. Were you giving out homeopathy, and you just don't want to say? <laughs> yeah, that's what I was doing. <laughs> I was something of a wise woman. Wise woman. <laughs> <laughs> we had, but we had like all the herbs in the. The truck was amazing. Like it had all the herbs and all the stuff that you would have used in the in the olden days. Yeah, and then um, then we had like an old pill maker. You know, like the pharmacist oh. used to have, so you could make your own pills. Wow. It was really, like, genuinely actually quite fascinating. (laughs) Your disclaimer at the beginning was like, this was the beginning of my career. And in my head, I'm like, this would be me peaking. This would be the peak of my career. (laughs) The pharmacy tour. I did the pharmacy tour. (laughs) We have to ask all our guests, uh, what would you say if you had the perps? Now, they're, they're under arrest. They can't see you unless you want them to. But like, what would you say to them? I'd say if you're gonna if you're gonna nick a bag, um, just take the bag, then <laughs> take out all the stuff that you know you're just gonna yeah, chuck away. Items. Yeah. And then if you are gonna steal a bag, spend the money somewhere good. Like yeah. at least make it worth everyone's while. So I was just annoyed that they'd cost me so much time and energy and hassle. Yeah. For like thirty quids worth of white lightning yeah <laughs> yeah I'm like get champagne at least guys come on yeah, so <laughs> true. why would you why would you hold back when the world is your oyster no. maybe that's what that's what mugging should be now is that somebody just comes up to you in the street it's like look i would steal your handbag but i know it's going to inconvenience you can you give me like 40 to 50 pounds i think i'd be happier with that yeah Yes, yeah, let me keep the copy of the go-between so I don't have to listen to my mother go on about the fact yeah. that I lost that copy of the go-between for 20 years. That was a good crime. Thank you for sharing. So now we move on to the portion of the podcast where we delve into a true crime. Mm. I have the facts. None of you guys do. Uh, so I'm going to trickle some information and ask you questions and we will see who is the best detective. It's not a competition. It's a female workplace. <laughs> a man enters a bank and meets a woman who has been waiting for him. Together, they go to cash a check, but before they can do that, something happens which prevents them. So question, what Whoa. happens that could stop them cashing a check? An earthquake. Great guess. Is it a great guess? This really yeah. is a female workplace. That was a terrible guess. <laughs> it didn't occur to me. I used to work in a bank, and I used to be one of the... Um, counter people clinky things and the paper stuff i lost nationwide a lot of money but um, 
But I remember that there was this elderly woman and it was a really hot day and she was wearing a huge fur coat um, and she just got 500 pounds cash and then she collapsed because she was so hot. Oh. Um, and I had to phone 999. First time I ever had to phone 999. Yeah. But I forgot that you needed nine for an outside line. So I had to ring 9999. Nine, nine, nine. 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 <laughs> it took me a while to work that out. So I think perhaps somebody fainted. Oh, yeah. Ruth, any advance on this? Well, if it was now, uh, coronavirus happened and all the banks were <laughs> shut. Yeah. So you can't go uh, lockdown. When you say they was they were like something happened and they couldn't cash it, had they got anywhere or had they just met? They met, they knew each other, they met, and then together they went to cash the check and then something happened which prevented them from cashing this check. Uh, a run on the bank, well, like, like in a- Mary Poppins. Oh, right. Yeah, like hyperinflation or something. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> no sexier crime than hyperinflation. <laughs> That's a really good guess. I thought one of you might guess like the bank got robbed or something. But the true answer is they were arrested by the FBI who had been waiting for them. Ooh. Oh, okay. Yeah. Question, what charge do you think they could have been arrested for? Uh, extortion of an old lady who'd <laughs> written the check for them and then they were going to cash the check extortion was she wearing a big fur coat <laughs> yeah, and yeah. It just painted <laughs> when she realized she'd given them all her fucking money <laughs> drug trafficking oh nice Ooh. okay or did they rob another bank, but they like, robbed it, but got a check? So they had to come to like another a bank. Check. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were actually arrested for conspiracy to transport stolen property. What stolen property could they have been transporting? Was it an automobile? Nice guess. It is not correct. We know which um, era this crime was from, though, because Taylor's put on this voice. <laughs> and I hear that every time. So we've got cars. Ruth, what do you think? Wild animals. Tiger yeah. King. Tiger King, yeah. Was it wild <laughs> animals? Yeah. <laughs> okay, illegal wild animals. Hannah? Was it old women in fur coats? <laughs> I'm loving it. What it was was some forged and stolen letters. Ooh. Forged and stolen. Yes, a combination of both. Would you like to guess what year this is? <laughs> Take it away, Taylor. Well, this is the wrong voice. Ooh, is this like 1970s or 80s? Nice. Okay, I think I've clocked vaguely which what crime this is, actually. Okay. So, yes, so I, I will hold back for a moment. Okay, go on, Ruth. 1948. Nice. Okay. Hannah, Hannah, good idea holding back. That's what the police force needs are detectives that hold back information. I love that. Oh, no, no, I've got it far too early. You guys have a go. (laughs) No, then, Hannah, bring it home. Oh, well, I know the film that's based on it came out in 2019, but when it happened, it was definitely like 70s or 80s. I would say late 70s, 78. Oh, right. Now I've fucked it. So, actually, Taylor is the closest because she said 80s, but it's 1993. when. Oh, wow. So this crime has been made into an Oscar-nominated film. Anyone want to tell me the name of the film or the perps? Oh, oh, is this the one with Richard E. Grant and Thingy? Yes! That's it. That's all I've got for you. (laughs) And the winner for Best Actress goes to Thingy. (laughs) 
Um, yeah, it, the Can You Ever Forgive Me film from 2019 with Oscar nominations for Melissa McCarthy and Richard E. Grant. Is that what? Is that the full title of the film, the Can You Ever Forgive Me film? <laughs> Lee Israel is the perp. And it was based on her autobiography of the same name. It's got all those people in it that we've already said, but it was nominated for like loads of like best adapted screenplay, best actress, yada, yada. Not best director because chicks can't do that. No. no. So you guys have all seen the film, right? No. No, I wouldn't. You know I don't remember anything ever. So this is going to be a test of like recent memory and we're on the same page. I'm just going to say that. I don't remember any films ever that I've watched and most films what I've realized I realized I was talking to my ex about a film we'd been to see and I was talking about it and he went no that's that's not in that film and what <laughs> I've done was I'd conflated four films that we'd been to see <laughs> together over the I don't know eight years that we were together <laughs> I put them all into one and he was like that's not an actual film <laughs> was it good though you could I mean you could write that yeah. I'm interested in this mashup I always find that like the best way if I can't sleep the best way for me to get to sleep is to like sit down and watch a film that really means something to my boyfriend because that is right. <laughs> I will fall asleep like that. Okay, so this film is the story of how a serious writer slash celebrity biographer turned to deception to make ends meet. For three years, Israel managed to steal, alter, and flat out fabricate around 400 letters, making her one of the most prolific literary forgers in history. So yay, women represent. (laughs) Good girl. Finally, something we are allowed to get credit for. (laughs) I'm going to tell you all a little bit about Lee Israel. He was born Carol Israel. It's not even her name. Born Carol Israel in New York in 1939. She earned a bachelor's degree in speech from Brooklyn College in 1961. She spent a lot of her early career as a freelance writer, contributing articles to a wide range of publications from the New York Times to Soap Opera Digest. Nice. I know, right? So she that had is a range. <laughs> <laughs> she had some very good legal success before she went rogue. Um, she was a biographer in the 70s and 80s, and she wrote a book about actress Tallulah Bankhead in 1972 and journalist Dorothy Kilgillen in 1979. And that one made it onto the New York Times bestsellers list when it was released in 1980. Are you sure it wasn't soap opera digest roundup of the best? (laughs) I cannot be sure. That was probably the highlight of her career. It's all downhill from there. Her next book was going to be an unauthorized biography of Estee Lauder. Estee Lauder isn't really a person because I always forget that it's a person. (laughs) Um, Do you know what? I have a lot of times for like unauthorized, if I can't say it, unauthorized biographies because like I used to have the unauthorized album, like an annual of like everything, you know, when you're a kid and you get like the unauthorized five album. Like, and so I love it because really, if it's unauthorized, they can write what the fuck they want and they just use slightly pixelated pictures so no one can find out who originally took them or whatever. (laughs) So I imagine maybe it wasn't as uh, successful because she just. it, it wasn't accurate, maybe? Or was no. it that it was just really boring? Like, <gasps> like maybe S.A. Lauder didn't have any, like, nothing happened. I'm going to give it to Ruth. You're the closest. There's a few things, but that kind of is one of the things that happened. So, basically, it was released almost simultaneously with Lauder's own memoir. Ah. Oh. Um, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she'd rushed to finish hers to keep up. 
And obviously the competition dampened sales. It was panned by the critics. Also, and this is what Ruth, this leads to what Ruth was saying, the times were changing and the style of biography writing was going out of fashion. The, the way that Lee Israel did it, she would like meticulously research people, like sleuthing in libraries, just like loads of research and kind of really kind of create a narrative arc and give precedence uh, like to certain things and like just sort of try not to put herself into it too much, like the ego of the writer. She would really try and do the subject properly. But now, basically, this time, everything's getting very salacious. There's this person called Kitty Kelly, who are like publishing a lot more kind of muckraking expose type stuff. Oh, my God. Yeah, Kitty Kelly. On people like Jackie Kennedy. Like the market's changing and people start thinking that you need a dollop of vicious smut to sell a biography. Oh, you're never going to compete with somebody's memoir because then it's just like she was seen going into a restaurant yeah. and then her she's like, I was in the restaurant. <laughs> yeah, I know. Here's what happens. Like, it's never going to be it's good. Crazy, right? Basically, this Estee Lauder book is a failure and it's her first failure and it has a profound effect on her. Right. And she later considered it a catalyst that sent her in a downward spiral to her later criminal activities. Oh dear. Um, I wonder what mine's going to be. I'm really excited <laughs> about that. Like, I don't think I've had enough success yet. It'll be something, a horrible sitcom that goes terribly wrong and turns out that it's, oh God, I can't wait to be on a downward spiral like, of criminality. Genuinely, I can't relate to someone being that far in their career before they've had a knockback. Like, right. You know, yeah, we, like, this is very much two steps forward, two steps back for me. So, like, I don't get, like, to be, like, oh, just perfect trajectory up. And then it's harder to cope with failure. It's better to just be brutally rejected constantly. But so Lee Israel is on record saying, I had never known anything but up in my career, in her memoir. I know there's a problem with, like, worrying that women aren't likable and we shouldn't talk about that. But that just, that really, like, her likability stock just... Oh, mate, it's about to jump. It's about to slump even um, further. So she said in her memoir, I regarded with pity and disdain the short-sleeved wage slaves who worked in offices. I had no reason to believe that life would get anything but better. Uh, not likeable. This is why, but this is why people yeah. have no sympathy for <laughs> people in the creative industries. Because yeah. women like her. That's why. Because <laughs> they're like, why should we care about you? Yeah, right. Why should you? And there's people like that saying, oh, you wage slaves. <laughs> no, completely, completely. She makes us all look like dicks. Yeah. <laughs> but she but she just, she's very entitled. But interesting. So actually, and according to other sources, there were like other reasons for the downturn in her career. And some of them are that she's kind of a dick. Yeah, yeah. Um, hey, do you want to guess what else went wrong in her career? One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, I guess if she's a dick, then maybe she got, um, did her agent drop her or something? Was it like, was she awful to yeah you're in the right ballpark for sure yes in fact i'll give you that basically everyone hated her so um, (laughs) that is a difficulty yes like so basically she was known to be difficult and like often if i hear a woman described as difficult i'm like all i if uh, all i hear is like someone going ah this uppity bitch wouldn't give me a blowjob like that yeah Yeah. but it does sound like she qualifies for genuine, like genuinely difficult was a man who would be being called difficult right now, I think. Um, so she was an alcoholic. Her friend David Yarnell told the New York Times she was very feisty and people did not want to work with her. Her not, her 2015 New York Times obituary described her as having a temperament that made conventional employment nearly impossible. I love that that's in her obituary as well. Yeah. Like she did this, she did this, she was a nightmare, she did this, she did this. I called my grandmother feisty once. And she oh, really? was furious with that. It's a sexual term. Oh, <laughs> Did you call her a feisty little slut, though? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was the bit she was about. <laughs> so, after the Estee Lauder book, Israel struggled to make ends meet and ultimately went on welfare, which, as you can imagine, she hated after slagging off everyone else. And she was right. plagued by overdue bills. Question, what was the final straw that pushed Israel to commit a crime? People that have seen the film might know the answer to this. But what about people that can't remember the film? Yeah. <laughs> was it one of the short-sleeved wage slaves? <laughs> uh, she had to move back in with her mother. That's a good guess. Oh, uh, I think I might remember, but Taylor, um, I have a guess before because I think I remember, but I'm well, not sure. See, I don't think I can remember, but I, I, I just vaguely remember a scene with her agent and she just can't get with the times is it a rejection is it like no so she's like drowning in bills and then something pushes her to is it i think i mean this isn't very impressive because i guys i think i remember a film i watched a few months ago <laughs> is it that her cat gets sick yes specifically the cat bets bills right now i've written a joke and you will have to listen to it <laughs> are you ready for this yes, yes. You might say her cat. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm laughing because it's so bad. The catalyst. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> and that is solid wordplay. Don't at me. <laughs> <laughs> and this is this is completely accurately represented in the film. Uh, the cat had to go to the vets for tests, and um, she couldn't come up with the forty dollars that she needed to get the pay to get the results back for the tests that the cat had to have. Does anyone know or can guess what was Israel's first crime? It's a shame because if it was just a child, you'd be like, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll roll the dice here, I guess. <laughs> that is harsh, though, isn't it? Taking something in for testing and then being like, yeah, but you've got to give me the $40 to get the results. Like, surely you'd, that seems really cool. No, brutal, brutal capitalism. Did she forge a letter to the vet? Ooh. From the cat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Initially, she did not do forgery. She just did simple theft. And so she happened to be working on an article about the comedian and singer-actress uh, Fanny Bryce for Soap Opera Digest. Oh, I've got, I'll read you her quote. 
Uh, it happened incrementally, like most evil things do, she told NPR in 2008. I went to the library and was given a bunch of letters which I should not have been given in a non-secure area. Tempted by the possibility, Israel tucked a few letters from actress Penny Bryce into her shoes and walked out with them. And then she sold them to this um, Argosy, like a rare book bookstore. Oh, wow. So she wasn't even forging this time. It was just a legit legit yeah letter. A legit theft and sale i love how she blames like which i should not have been given <laughs> i was in an area that i shouldn't have been in <laughs> so she made 40 dollars for each letter which was not too suspicious but like how many letters does she have two i think she could have got her te- cat tested twice for that. her quote about this is that she for the first time in a long time i had some jingle in my jeans is that cystitis what's that no wonder her uh, book didn't go down well Imagine if that was your prose style. So cat fans will be pleased to know that she got the test back and was able to treat her cat. So far, so good, crime pays. Basically, you guys know that she refined her scheme to forgery to make more money. She ends up doing quite intricate forgery. Um, and the stepping stone is there was a big blank, there was a big space at the bottom of one of the Fanny Bryce letters after yours truly, Fanny Bryce. So she got an old typewriter. She describes that she wrote a couple of hot sentences that improved the letter and elevated the price. Wow, she's really got a a lot of self-confidence, hasn't she? (laughs) Also, that's quite interesting, though, because I was thinking, you know, with forgery, you're like, oh, is it handwriting forgery? But actually, back in the day, everyone would probably have similar typewriters. There's no kind of millions and millions of fonts. You can just add it in and just be like... She did end up getting like vintage paper she started she acquired old typewriters because there 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 would have been although they weren't fonts specifically there would have been like this age of typewriter would have looked like this so she actually had to get a spectrum of and they did show this in the film actually i love this era of no technology where it's like i just have to do these little steps and make it look antiquated nobody can check me yeah it's kind of exciting Mm. it is it is and she can and it's like this really weird little cottage industry as well so like no one's really checking because they're selling them on for like way more money and stuff so she got all this vintage paper out of like period journals in libraries she's still nicking and destroying stuff i mean we're kind of team israel but not quite that sounds but i mean team lee israel but i admire her spirit but i bet she'd be a nightmare person did you ever at school did you used to like we had to at one point like write a letter from a pirate so we'd put the paper in like some tea and then you set fire to the side and almost set fire to your entire homework i think i could do this is what i'm saying i tried to do this with my kid and she was so unimpressed where you write on it with lemon juice and then you can see the secret writing but she's I, got a fucking iPad, isn't she? That's why she's not. <laughs> they're so oh, they're so jaded, Katie. I know. It's so sad. Also, all these typewriters and forgery and papers and stuff, genuinely to me, sounds more like work than a proper job would have been. She's getting a kick out of tricking people, but also she is exercising the writing muscle in her brain. You know, she's got to come up with really pithy stuff that sounds like it would be this person. So she's actually really enjoying that challenge, I think. So the letters were so convincing that two of them featured in the Letters of Noel Coward, published by Alfred A. Nope in 2007, over 10 years after Israel pleaded guilty for her crimes. Wow. wow. But it's amazing, though, isn't it, that like yeah. the, the letters, she can be found guilty of that, and then someone's like, oh, pop them in the book, we haven't got enough. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, also, they never got found, because the thing is, they found out the big ones, which we'll get to, but there were so many just floating around. Because she did did loads for low money because she thought that would be less suspicious than, like, big ones. How did they know that the ones that were in the 
so the 10 years afterwards did she then go oh those are mine yeah <laughs> she would as well wouldn't she yeah. I, mean, I don't know about you but as freelancers who aren't really being supported right now like my wheels are turning this is the version of this that i can do right fucking now <laughs> she did something too suspicious on a letter that led to one of the stepping stones that got her found out did she do like a, a heart over an eye <laughs> Actually, you're in the right ballpark. Oh wow! That is not that is not what she did. She made an embellishment that was not. Oh wow! She was like, "Love Dorothy Parker," <laughs> and she kissed the paper with red lipstick. Ooh. Um, again, good guess. Did she try and imply a sort of relationship between two people that wasn't there? You're the closest, but still no. She made references to Noel Coward's sexuality, but in a way that would not have, it was still illegal at that time. Yeah. So there was no way he would have been that open in a letter in that particular era. Well, thank God for homophobia, guys. I'm going to be the first to say it. <laughs> it really helped solve crime. <laughs> um, this attracted the attention of some of her buyers. And a New York dealer demanded $5,000 in exchange for not testifying against her before a grand jury. So she's being blackmailed on top of all of this? Yes. It was the end of Israel's sales of forged letters, but not her work as a literary forger. Ooh. Having decided that selling her fictionalized creations was too risky, Israel instead opted to go back to her original MO, but with a twist. Oh, soap opera digest nude. <laughs> Did she do spoilers for soap operas? I bet she'd think that she could write better stories as well, so yeah. she'd just do her own version. Of Did she write unauthorized biographies as if they were autobiographies? Um, That's a great idea. Her new plan was to go into the archives of prestigious libraries, examine the existing letters, figuring out how to create the perfect forgeries of them. Then she would go home, create that forgery, and return to the library, put a replica in the place, steal the original, and then leave, basically. So Jack Hopp, or Richard E. Grant, to you and me, would then sell the legitimate letter to the private collectors. So everything's going great again. She's got cat food for days. <laughs> also, as Taylor has pointed out, this is the pre-internet 90s, and the trade in literary memorabilia was a sketchy cottage industry uh, powered by greed and bad faith, and a lot of the dealers came to suspect that Israel was passing off fakes, but they were happy to slip her £50 in cash. $50. I may have done that a few times before selling them on for three times that amount. So no one was getting hurt and she felt that she was being paid for her professional skills. This is where, and this guy's, we're not going to dwell on him too long, but he's a big figure in why she gets busted. Enter David H. Lowenhart. He is an autograph dealer in New York. He discovered news that the missive from Ernest Hemingway to Norman Cousins that he had purchased was in fact a part of Columbia University's collection. He got in contact with the university and together they discovered the forgery in its place. Oh. Question, how did they trace this back to Lee Israel? Cat litter. <laughs> it's even better than that. Is it just oh. that she'd, she'd signed it out? Like she yeah. signed out that they, Oh, I mean, come on. It was on her library card. Oh, boy, error. Oh, no. So she signed it and then it is kind of like the forgery version of wearing a stripy jumper. It's like, well, the ultimate attention would be a prison sentence. Yeah, the FBI was able to uncover significantly more of Israel's forged works and the stolen letters she had sold were returned to their archives, though the FBI agent in charge of the case told the Times in 2015 that it was likely more letters remained undiscovered. 
So as we know, there was kind of a sting. We're going to go back to the bank now at the beginning. I'd forgotten about the bank. David H. Lowenhart wore a wire when Jack Hock, Richard E. Grant, sold him the next letter. And then bang, they arrest Hock and Israel trying to cash the check. Question, did Israel plead guilty? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes, I he like did. Oh, uh, yeah. He did guilty to one count of conspiracy to transport stolen property in interstate commerce in 1993. Her sentence was six months house arrest with five years probation. Wow, six months house, house arrest. Like, that's what we've all been sentenced to yeah. right now. <laughs> okay, she said, My success as a forger was somehow in sync with my erstwhile success as a biographer. I had for decades practiced a kind of merged identity with my subjects to say I channeled is only a slight exaggeration. She had to be really careful. So in her letters, she'd have to be like more Ernest Hemingway than Ernest Hemingway to be convincing as Ernest Hemingway. She thought it was a real art and it was great. Also, she said, the forged letters were larky and fun and totally cool. <laughs> is that what she said? Yeah. So weird. Imagine describing your crime as like, it's totally cool. I really feel like she's like a hippie. She's like a, she came of age in the 60s and that's how she talks. After this, she, she did a t- time such as it was. I mean, it, she just basically had to sit through the coronavirus. So she then managed to work again. She got loads of writing work afterwards and she wrote her own memoir. Fun fact. The title of the memoir is deliberately naff because it's a knowing and winky face kind of thing. It's from this closing of a letter that Israel forged for Dorothy Parker. In one of the letters, Dorothy Parker writes, Alan told me to write and apologize. So I'm doing that now whilst he dresses for our turkey dinner with the boys across the road. I have a hangover and that is a real museum piece. I'm sure that I must have said something terrible to save me this kind of exertion in the future. I'm thinking of having the letters run off saying, can you ever forgive me, Dorothy? And then... Parker, but Israel, signs off with that phrase. And Alan in the letter was meant to be Parker's husband, Alan Campbell. So basically it's this like fake apology Mm. because Dorothy Parker would never apologise. And clearly, nor with Israel, she hasn't apologised. Dorothy Parker was like one of her main things, though, wasn't it? Like, at least from the movie, it, it made out that... There was a lot of Dorothy Parker mm. um, and Hemingway and Noel Coward. And there was a bit where, like, Noel Coward, like, slagged off Julie Andrews' overbite and said that she looked way better since she's fixed her teeth and stuff. And that was Israel. Oh, man. Yeah. It's almost like the person that's not invited to the party. So they're like, I'm going to rewrite your fucking party. (laughs) Like, actually, that's definitely, that's a really great description. That's That really is the vibe, I think. She's like, fuck you then. Here's what I'm going to do. Like, I think it really is that. Oh, there was one thing that I thought was fun as well. That in the film, they show that Lee Israel's being ignored by her agents and stuff. So she keeps like pretending, like ringing them, pretending to be Nora Ephron. (laughs) <laughs> and then when they actually come to the phone he shouts star fucker and hangs up <laughs> I remember that really happened? that's really true and Nora Ephron's people had to get a cease and desist order <laughs> oh that's pretty in um, the film I do remember that scene, one of those scenes in the film and it's really it's just really funny just <laughs> how much glee she seems to get out of yeah and to her own agent you fucking I know it's really hurting and then it is just so funny as well though like that's the- great Drunk women solving crime. we have just enough time for a listener crime Ooh. Um, and this is one that somebody wrote in a review i think um and they said 
in case you're ever stuck for a listener crime, thank you, we are, um, I was woken up at 5.30am to find an escaped convict climbing in my bedroom window to leave me a note, like the milk tray man, but with less chocolate. What? Is that all the information we have? That is all the information we have. What the fuck? That's too little and too much all at once. Or him, I don't know. Yeah, I kind of, I feel like we need to reply to this and, uh, like, can you even reply to these things and say, like, what did the note say? How did, how, how did she know that, he, how did the person know that they would, that the that the convict was just leaving a note? Yeah. Surely that would be what the convict would say they were doing. When, <laughs> oh, I was just going to leave you a note. Also, that it's an escaped convict, which makes me think it was in like the 1700s or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, convict. very Dickens. <laughs> yeah. um, but like, what would they be wearing? No. Yeah. How do they know it's an escaped convict? I'm picturing stripy outfit and a swag bag. Yeah. Right. Um, cartoonish. And, a, and like a ball and chain that they've yeah. <laughs> hiked up with. <laughs> And he's like had to bring it with him. What's that thing, you know, a grappling hook? He uses his morning yeah. thing, a grappling hook. Sounds quite, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have so many questions. So many. Maybe he he was later caught and that's how they know he was a convict. Maybe. Or maybe this person was going out with them, knew that they were in prison. Ooh. And they came in through the window and they were like, oh, you're not meant to be out yet. Ooh, yeah. It'd be interesting to know where this happened because, like, mm. coming from the Isle of Wight, we've got three of the fuckers. We've got three prisons on the Isle of Wight. Oh, yeah, we're yeah. like a kind of a very English Alcatraz. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> but we do, we have, like, the main ones as well. We have the craze. Like, the craze were in our prison. Gary Glitter is there right now. Wow, <laughs> I did not realize, Hannah George. You yeah. were, you're a penal colony. Ooh, I mean, baby. I knew you were a yeah. penal colony, but... <laughs> but, yeah, no, I think we did solve it. And I just, you can't come from the Isle of Wight and talk about prisons and not assert how many prisons you come from. <laughs> Cheers, we solved it. Cheers. <laughs> okay, we have just enough time. Ruth, tell us, what are you up to apart from coronavirus? <laughs> sitting waiting for someone to give me a job i'm waiting <laughs> i'm waiting for for the coronavirus lockdown to be lifted yeah. so that people can i think life is much better with an audience yeah. Mm. You know, yeah it's very hard and i see all these people making content for online and i'm like oh stop yeah. you have to stop because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're also you know because and you can see it's because they're sort of desperate for yeah you know. but um mm. i think if the cinemas are open, then the people who just yeah. do nothing film, I think, is coming out yeah. in August. Oh, oh awesome. That's so cool. Oh, that's good. Is that in cool. Japan or something? Yeah, I didn't get to go to Japan. You didn't go? No. Oh. They all went and had a lovely time, but I did. Oh, oh man. People just do nothing the movie, big in Japan. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Nice. And that's August. That's August. I think it's August. Ruth, thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. I've had so much fun. And it's been lovely having two little glasses of gin. Yeah. Got a right glow on now. Thank you so much, Ruth. You're amazing. Oh, thank you so much. Drunk Women Solving Crime is produced by Amanda Redman. Music by The Lion and the Wolf. 
If you would like to, you can follow us on Drunk Women Pod on Twitter, on Facebook and Insta. We are Drunk Women Solving Crime. And please review us on Apple Podcasts. And also, if you have a crime that you would like us to solve, write it on a review on Apple Podcasts as well. Thank you to ACAS and thank you for listening. Bye! Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.